Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. Good to have you along on this Friday afternoon. Don't forget the C Spire text line is open to you, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. Right now we'll go to the Farm Bureau phone line, check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. We're joined by Keith Carter, Athletics Director at Ole Miss. And um, the, the last couple of times that we've talked, it's been, we've got a whole lot of questions, not a ton of answers. Do you feel like you're getting to the point, and, and this is really general, where answers are starting to finally present themselves. I do. Um, you know, I think it's still very fluid and, and evolving every day. But I, I do think, you know, obviously with the president's and chancellor's decision last week that we can bring student athletes back on, on June 8th. I mean, that was huge. And, uh, you know, Shannon Singletary and our, our folks here have been working tirelessly on that plan to, to, to be ready for that. And, and I think we are. And so, uh, you know, we'll start bringing them back on June 1st and doing some testing to prepare for that June 8th day. But, uh, you know, it does feel like every day there, there's starting to be a little more clarity. Uh, you know, we, we've always had questions about, you know, would, would, you know, how would our state open up relative to other states and uh, what the footprint of the SEC look like and all of that. And, and we're starting to see some of the states open back up and, and open back up for business. So um, I do think that there's more answers now. But I think the problem, Richard, is you, you, you answer some of the questions and then new ones pop up. Obviously, we're getting student athletes back. We're excited about potentially, you know, getting them ready for the fall season. Uh, but then if we have the fall season, you know, what, what do the stadiums look like? You know, that's kind of the next wave. We're going to get there. I promise. What, what we're looking at. So, um, but, you know, th- th- this has been, and I've said this publicly a few times, this has just been probably the, the most fluid situation I've ever worked on. You know, you, you plan and plan and plan and then, you know, things change. And so we hope that the momentum continues. We hope that obviously the the, the health data continues to come back in a positive way and, and we can push forward. So the SEC release was June eighth, which you referenced a second ago, but that was the day that voluntary workouts could begin because the NCAA put that June 1st date so you can start bringing guys back and kind of ramping up so that when you hit June 8th, which I guess is a week from Monday, they can actually begin actual activities. Is that am I am I hearing that correctly? Yeah, that's exactly right. So we'll start off, and our, ours will be a phased approach. So on June eighth, we will not have all of our student athletes doing voluntary stuff in our buildings, but we will have some. So we'll start with our fall sports: football, volleyball, soccer, uh, cross country. Those are the sports that will start coming in June first. Um, you know, the the thing about the testing, Richard, is you got to you know socially socially distance there. You've got to you know, that's a process. You can't just bring in you know 100 football players and test them in, in an hour. It's going to be a process to do that. So it's going to take a day or two to do football. It's going to take a day to do you know soccer and volleyball. So we'll continue to do that. But yes, when we start on June 8th, those those student athletes will have been tested. They'll be ready to go and they'll be able to jump into those facilities. So do you anticipate the entire football team? being back on campus on June 8th when the voluntary uh, activities start? No, we'll, we'll have uh, definitely our returners will be here. Um, you know, the incoming freshmen uh, and newcomers, there's a little bit different legislation around kind of the way they can come back. Uh, so a lot of them will be not just football, but a lot of our student athletes that are newcomers will be more mid to late June to be ready more for a July 1st date. So 
has has it been discussed when football practice is actually going to be able to begin? Because we know there's a ramping up period. You've got these voluntary workouts, and coaches have talked about the fact that we've got to get our guys back in shape to be able to go in. But because there was no spring, are we looking at additional time for fall camp than you would have had in previous years? Um, you know, I, I think that's really been the mindset all along is that there would be some relief there so that our coaches could get their hands on the student athletes a little earlier. You know, right now it's, it's dead until at least through June. We know that, that there's no, there's not going to be any or, you know, organized practices, those type of things, at least through June. So I think all of our coaches are looking at that July 1st date as maybe that date that they could, you know, literally get their hands on them, get out on the field or the court with them, that type of thing. Um, but everything right now will be voluntary through June. So, Fast forwarding to football, I've heard some optimism from you. I mean, as we sit here at the end of May, do you anticipate that Ole Miss is playing football in Houston, Texas on Labor Day weekend? I do, and and again, I give Commissioner Sankey a lot of credit, uh, the SEC office, and, and and the other ads in our league. It's been a really great effort and a, and a collaborative effort, you know, over the past two and a half months. But everybody's remained really optimistic about playing football uh, on Labor Day weekend, and I think we're all planning toward that. I mean, I think that's our goal. We want to we want to play. Uh, we want to play in front of fans. Uh, you know, all of that. But obviously we're looking at other contingency, you know, plans as well. And so, um, you know, I think we got to prepare for that. And that's obviously why they're letting us bring our student athletes back. We'll, we'll get them back in shape and, and make sure that they're healthy and ready to go. Um, but then if, you know, something happens, if, if, if the cases spike, if things start to turn in a different direction, we got to push the season back, then we'll be prepared for that too. With regard to the, the game in Houston to start the year, uh, maybe a couple of things here. Number one, we've been alluding on this show for a while that uh, probably not going to be played on Saturday, that that's going to be a, a Sunday night kick. There was some reporting uh, a week or so ago, uh, a little more in detail. It, can you go on the record about that yet? Uh, I can't go on the record for that, but um, I would say that, that probably you could keep discussing that if you want to. Fair um, enough. So, yeah. W- w- worst kept secret maybe for <laughs> the uh, the opening weekend. Have you had any conversations with the folks at the, the Texans organization or the kind of the promoters for that game as to whether or not fans are going to be able to attend that because that's an NFL venue as opposed to a home stadium for somebody. Absolutely. You know, our, our folks have been talking to them a lot, actually, about kind of what, what that's going to look like. Um, you know, I think they're anticipating the same thing. I mean, they're kind of going to work backwards from a full stadium. Uh, you know, we've had a lot of fans that have bought tickets. Baylor's had a lot of fans that have bought tickets. And I think right now they're they're planning to, you know, make sure that those folks are, are in the seats. But, you know, again, it's so fluid. It could change tomorrow. Um, you know, I think that really, you know, where we're where we're talking about is we get into early July, mid July. I think that's when we'll really have some more data that we'll kind of be able to start making those decisions. Visiting with Keith Carter, athletics director at Ole Miss, on the Farm Bureau phone line again. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. So you almost get like a bonus week in in being on the road, and you get one deep, uh, one week deeper into you know whatever it is that we're doing this COVID nineteen thing. So September 12th is the first home game. What's it going to look like in terms of fans in the stands? I, I think that's what everybody wants to know. Yeah, that that's the million-dollar – well, it's actually a lot more than a million-dollar question. It's a, <laughs> it's a big question. Um, but, you know, I, I think for us, all we can do right now, again, we're, we're going to work backwards from a full stadium. Um, you know, we're going to plan as if, if we're going to be playing in front of, of, of a full crowd. 
Um, financially, we've looked at kind of what that looks like if you have a 50% capacity, a 25% capacity, and, and, and you know, very candidly, it doesn't look very good. Um, what are those numbers? I mean, can, can you share those? Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you, it's it's in the tens of millions of dollars. I mean, if, if you're looking at if you're looking at a 50% capacity, you know, you're you're in the you know the eight-figure number that we would we would be at a loss, and and you know, you can kind of do the math from there as, as you go down. So it's it's one of those things, and I and I, I talked to our our, our CFO uh, both here in the department and in the foundation, and it's like you almost say, you know, what am I supposed to do with these numbers? Like, we can't operate on this. And and I think that would be the case, you know, across the board, not just at Ole Miss or Mississippi State. It would be the same at Alabama. I mean, if if they've got 25% of the people in their stadium, they've got a big problem. And so we're looking at all of that. But, you know, just logistically and physically in the stadium, to me, that's more of an easy one. You can go in. You can, you know, you can tape off seats and do different things and have different scenarios. I know we've seen a lot of that modeling across the country of what that would look like. And to be honest, we haven't done a ton of that yet. We've been so focused on getting our student-athletes back and making sure that our facilities are ready for them when they come back next week and, and the week after. So we'll really start diving into what our stadium looks like, uh, you know, what, what the Grove looks like, you know, just a lot of these things that, that would involve a, a weekend here in Oxford for football. So this is a hypothetical. If I was talking to Greg Sankey, he'd say, I don't deal in hypotheticals. I'm, I'm hoping you'll take the bait here a little bit. L- let's say that you have to go with a 50% capacity, e- even if it's just for the first few games of the year. How, how do you determine – who gets to be one of the 32,000 in the stadium and who's left outside looking in? Well, I, I think you could ask every AD in the SEC, and there's two things that have kind of kept kept us awake or we've wrestled with this whole thing, this whole time. One one is very serious, and that's the that's the you know when we finally do get a confirmed case in our in our department or with one of our teams, you know how do you handle that? How do you isolate that person? How do you do contact tracing to make sure that really it doesn't shut down the whole operation? And I think that's one of the things we've we've been talking about from day one because we know there's going to be a case, we know it's going to happen whether it's here, or Mississippi State, or somewhere. So that's been one the second one is is the fans you know how do we decide you know if we if we get the mandate that 25 percent is is what you can have in your stadium how do we decide what that 25 percent is and i think we've decided is there's really not a good answer because you're going to make somebody mad you're going to alienate somebody um you know no matter what the decision is so we'll continue to look at that that's actually something that i think the 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 schools around the league are going to kind of submit and look at some ideas that that others are thinking about and and maybe try to find some type of consensus that would make sense uh, not that necessarily we'd have to do it at every school, but something that makes sense really across the league. Because 25% capacity, to use that number, I mean, that's 16,000 people. You've already sold more than 16,000 season tickets, haven't you? That's exactly right. Yeah, we're about 23,000 right now uh, with the deadline coming up on June 15th. And, you know, before we got on the air, we are talking about Iowa State. And what they've said is basically if you have a season ticket, you're going to be the first in the first priority. And obviously I think that's probably something we would look at too, you know. Um, but like you said, right now we're – we're on a negative side of that, so we'd have to come up with a, a different plan. What's going to determine the percentage capacity? You, you said you're going to start with a full stadium and work back. Is that based on what the governor says you can do? Is it CDC? Is it what the SEC says? How, who makes that decision? Yeah, I, I think it's a little bit of, of all of those, Richard. You know, I, I think that you know we were talking about this morning on our call that you know we're going to have to adhere to state policies, to local policies. You know, right now it's a six feet. You know, social distancing, that's kind of the, the required amount. So if you went in right now, you'd, you'd probably have to figure out, you know, what, whatever that combination looks like. If it's six feet between individual seats, if it's six feet between, you know, families or season ticket holders, that type of thing. But, you know, our hope is if, if you're adding masks, if you're adding different protocols around, does that, does that shrink that social distancing, you know, number? Um, and obviously as you get more information moving forward, 
um, you know, I think that's what we're, we're hoping as well is that as we get more time, we, we, the one thing we are still blessed with today is we have time, you know, before September 5th or 6th, before that Labor Day weekend. So hopefully as we get more information, we'll be able to, to put, you know, a, a better plan together. You, you brought this up a second ago, I, something I wanted to ask you about. What, what about the Grove? And I, I mean, some people might even roll their eyes about that, but it's a big deal. And we were talking about this on the show yesterday. I mean, because I live here, I'm not sure that I look at it the same way that some people do. But for a lot of people, that's it's a homecoming that happens six or seven Saturdays in the fall. And we know there are a lot of people that show up for that, even for non-conference games. So so how does the Grove get managed? Yeah, it's huge, Richard. I mean, you know, you, you'll have a full stadium of 64,000. You've still got another 10 or 15 out in the Grove, you know, watching. I mean, it's just such a huge part of what we do here. And, you know, I think for us, you know, when you look at the stadium, that, that's an easy math problem, depending on what you have to do based on CDC or, or state guidelines. But you look in the Grove and, you know, where, where does the Grove start? Where does it end? You know, can you put a percentage on it? Probably not. Um, you know, I think some of this, Richard, is going to come down to the fact that we're going to have to do everything we can from a safety standpoint, whether it's in the stadium, whether it's in the Grove. But ultimately, people are going to have to probably make their own decisions, you know, at some point. I, I don't know that we're going to be able to put a, a hard and fast number on what the Grove looks like. And so, you know, if we get to the point where, you know, the Grove is going to be open, if we decide it's going to be open, you know, some people, if, if they're in those those age ranges or, or have a susceptibility to, to the virus, then maybe they have to decide on their own. So, you know, you get into liability, you get into so many different things when you start talking in those terms. But uh, the Grove is, is going to be interesting. And, again, that's one of those that we're going to start to spend some more time on. Uh, you know, we've kind of had a priority list that we've been working through. But Stadium and Grove are, are certainly next. Let me switch gears from football for a minute to uh, to baseball. Uh, obviously, this baseball season was disappointing for, for Ole Miss fans uh, after the start that they had. Um, knew that you were going to have to get to a point where you figured something out with Mike Bianco's contract going forward. There was some news last week that uh, that you guys – or have either finalized it or are really close to doing so. What, what can you tell us about that? Well, you hit it on the head. What what a great start to the season. Um, you know, it felt like this team had, you know, kind of that it factor that you talk about. They just had a confidence and a swagger to them. And, you know, I think a lot of it was, was the personality of the team. There were some, some characters on this team that just went out there and played baseball. But I think also, you know, Mike kind of let those guys do that. You know, he realized kind of what this team was and, and what made them really good. And, um, you know, I, I thought that was something that, that Mike did this year that was really good. But, you know, Richard, I, I think we're in a really good spot with, with Coach. And, um, you know, we, we have been looking at his contract. And, and I think we're, we're really close to finalizing something that, that uh, you know, he's going to be really happy with, we're going to be really happy with. And uh, hopefully it's going to keep Coach Bianco here for a long, long time. You know, I, I think that, you know, there's there's this talk of, you know, does he get to Omaha enough? Do we do we succeed enough in the postseason? You know all that, and and I get that, um, and we we want to do that. And believe me, nobody wants to go to Omaha more than Mike Bianco. He thinks about it every single day. He prepares his teams and his programs to do it every single day. And most years, he puts us right on the doorstep of getting there. Uh, we all want to get there more. He wants to get there more. But we we have a coach that has been so consistent, and he's been so good. Twenty years here, um, never had single issue with his program. Um, you know, winning and, and just doing the right thing and, and, and really building and molding young men. So we're excited about his, his leadership, and, uh, you know, we're hoping to make that announcement soon that he's going to be our coach for a long, long time. And I know, I mean, there's there's a level of just when somebody's been in a place a long time that there are people that just naturally want change for, for the sake of change. But kind of when you look at the entire body of work, it it gets pretty difficult to justify 
And even if you can justify it, that there's no guarantee on the backside that you come out achieving what you want to. Do you, do you have to balance that in as part of this? You do, you do, and and again, you know, I, I think you know the conversations with Mike have have been great. You know, he and I have a really really good relationship. That's important to me. Um, and we talked very candidly about you know kind of what's out there and what what people say, and and he gets it. Believe me, he gets it, and and he's working hard to get us there. But at the same time, you want a program that's consistent. You want something that every year you know you're going to have a winner. You're going to be again right on that doorstep of of doing some really good things. And I have no doubt that uh, he's going to bust through that door in a big way very soon. There was news, I guess it was last week, about the the possibility of pushing the college baseball season back, maybe as much as a month. And, and we talked with Mike about it on the, the show, uh, I guess, last Friday. And he, he, while well, he said he wasn't opposed to the idea, maybe wasn't jumping up and down about it the way some of the initial news reports and stories about that were. What do you what what do you see in terms of legs for for that proposal, kind of from a national perspective? Well, let me let me first quantify this that I, I don't know a lot about it. I mean, I've talked to Coach about it a few times. Um, I do think that it's it's probably more of a um, positive situation for the northern schools. Um, you know, I think for them financially, you know, you look at the fact that they have to play three or four of their first weekends on the road. You know, they're traveling. There's a lot of things there. You know, when we play in, in late February, it's really cold here, you know. Um, so if you if you push that back, you probably get a little better baseball weather, uh, which is which is great. Um, you know, I think on the back end, there's some things you got to consider with, with summer leagues and different things, you know, for for these teams that, that play all the way into July potentially. You know, there's there's players on those teams that aren't getting that bats. There's players on those teams that aren't getting, you know, on the mound to pitch, and they need those reps in summer league and those type of things. So there's just a lot of things to think about. I'm kind of like Mike, though, as we talked about. I, I'm, I'm indifferent right now until I learn more. Um, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. I'm not sure it's a great thing for us. I'm not sure it would, would help us tremendously, but I don't think it would hurt us either. So um, it's one of those that we'll look at, and, and, and you know, you certainly want to involve and, and try to get better in any way that you can, and, and maybe this is a way we can. I understand that right now, because of the uncertainty with budgets, you're not necessarily in a spending mode. It may be more of a, a saving and preparing for the future mode, but let's, let's talk about spending some money going forward. What's next in particular for the baseball stadium? You, you've done a couple of renovations that have totaled, what, about $45 million or so in the last decade. Is there a plan for enhanced seating capacity? Is there a plan for redoing the outfield for the students, for the, the left field area? What, what's next in terms of baseball with making more improvements to that stadium? Well, that's an awesome question. I think that there's some things we definitely need to do. Um, you know, you look out there, and in the past two years, we've set season ticket records. You know, the, we, we sold 7,200 two years ago. This year, we were all up around 7,400. Uh, and, and we're kind of finding new seats. We're running out of seats to sell. Um, I think we have a, a great thing in the outfield right now. I think the, the folks out in left field love what we have. The, obviously, the students love what we have out there. But I think there's some ways we can enhance those. Um, we actually acquired the piece of property behind the student section, the old tennis courts out there. Uh, we kind of did a, a land swap, if you will, with, with campus, and, and we've acquired that. So we have that space. We can do some things out there. Um, you know, all capital projects are going to be on a little bit of a hold right now until we figure out where we are with, with COVID and, and what all this looks like moving forward. Um, but certainly, I think we just need to enhance what we have out there. We, we have such a great tradition, such a great atmosphere for college baseball. We don't want to do anything that's going to change that. But I think if we can add more of a good thing, we certainly want to try to do that. All right, so let's move across campus a little bit to the football stadium. Uh, I mean, it's no secret that you've got 
if you break the stadium into four parts, north, south, east, west, you've got four different architectural styles going. Um, what, what's your vision for Vaught-Hemingway, and, and how do you get there? Well, I think that, uh, you know, that's a that's a big dollar question, obviously. Um, you know, I think that... Like that, 100, 200, 300 million dollar question, right? Yeah, I, I think what we're going to find, Richard, is we, is we dive into that wholeheartedly and we start looking at more of a kind of a master plan for the stadium, you're going to have to, you're going to look at, at, you know, the east side of the stadium coming down to the ground, the west side of the stadium coming down to the ground, potentially. Um, I just think the infrastructure is, is, is so old. Um, you look at restrooms and concessions and those type of things. All that's going to have to change when you really dive into it. Um, and so I, I think it's probably our next capital campaign, honestly. So We're, basically the south end zone is the only thing that remains? Um, you know, I don't know if I'd go that far. I mean, I, and again, I don't know that it's like bulldoze it all the way to the ground, but I just think there's going to be so many things in there that you're not going to be able to, to kind of put, you know, patch it with chewing gum and, and duct tape, you yeah, know. That's been done for a long time, hasn't it? It has. It has. And so I, I think, you know, as we finish up four together, the campaign that we're in right now, we've got about, I don't know, 12 or 13 million left to close that out, and we feel like we can get that done. I think probably the next big capital campaign revolves around Vaught Hemingway Stadium. And I, you know, I think in my tenure as AD, it's going to happen. You know, I think that it's something that we've got to do. And I think that it's something that if we want to continue to show, you know, growth and progress in our football program, that, that it needs to happen for sure. So what was the total dollar figure for Forward Together? Uh, 200 million. 200. Mm-hmm. So it's got to be at least that much, if not more, the next time around? I would think so. I mean, you know, you look at Texas A&M, what they did, and obviously that was a that was a huge project, and, and they they did it and expedited the process, which really kind of added to the budget. But they spent 450 million on their on their stadium, and it's phenomenal. Obviously, all the bells and whistles, the you know, club areas are, are and seats 105,000. Exactly. So ours wouldn't be quite that big, but I, I'm thinking Richard is probably at least 200, but it's probably more in the the two to 300 range is is what we'd be looking at in that campaign. It's pretty remarkable. Yeah, it is. It is. It's a and big number. It's a big number, and it's one of those things that, you know, now, now like you mentioned, is we're kind of looking at our budgets and how we're going to balance budgets, and then you start talking about a $300 million campaign for really one project. Um, you know, it's 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 a big one. Um, but we know what, how important football is. We understand that, you know, that's that we've got to continue to grow those facilities, and, uh, you know, hopefully Coach Kiffin and his staff will help us with some wins on the field. That'll, that'll get that excitement going. So in, in terms of budget, there, there's been so much talk about the, the new ESPN deal, which basically is ESPN taking over the, the 2.30 time slot for CBS. It's been written about it's the most undervalued piece of property in all of sports. Um, a lot of sports business writers have written about what those numbers are going to look like. I know they haven't been formally released, but the expectation is it's going to probably be five or six times what it is. The impact that that has on you from a budget standpoint, if you're talking about an additional 12 or 15 or 18 or 20 million dollars to your budget on top of what you're already getting in TV revenue, what what is that going to mean for you when that ultimately happens? Well, you know, obviously, you know, the, the those uh, those for sure numbers haven't come out yet, and and that's something that you know I think yeah, those are my numbers, not yeah, yours. Yeah, Commissioner Sankey and and Charlie Hussey and all those guys, they're they're doing tremendous work on on all that, but. Um, you know, if if those numbers do happen, Richard, I mean that's that's big. I mean, you know, for us in in a hundred and fifteen million dollar budget, if you could add, you know, another, you know, twenty thirty percent or whatever that looks like, I mean that that's big for us. And I think for us specifically here at Ole Miss, having been what we've been through over the past six or seven years, where we had a 
you know, a healthy reserve built up, but we had to go into that when we when we weren't getting the money from the SEC distribution for the bowl games and, you know, obviously attorney fees with the NCAA case and, and now with COVID-19. You know, we just kind of had a lot of layers to, to some financial things we've had to work through. So um, to be able to jump into something like that and, and really kind of, you know, be able to go back and pay some debt off and, and build reserves back and, and do all those things. Um, I think that's something that would, would certainly help our budget. It's going to help everyone, but, you know, it, us specifically here at Ole Miss, that's something that's really going to help. Just a couple more minutes with Keith Carter, Athletics Director at uh, Ole Miss. Certainly appreciate your time on a uh, on a Friday afternoon. Name, image, likeness. Um, I guess the letter went today from the five power conferences to Congress asking them to act so that the NCAA doesn't necessarily get to set the terms. What's going on with this? And we know that there's a finite timeline for when something has to happen, otherwise it turns into chaos with individual states setting forth their own legislation. No question. No question. And I think that, you know, obviously with, with everything with COVID-19 going on, that's taken the priority as it, as it should. Um, but there's a huge conversation going on that, that's really now starting to spark back up um, that was kind of quiet there for a couple months with, with NIL. And, you know, I, I think that it's it's something, Richard, that, um, you know, I, I don't think the SEC, I don't think Ole Miss is against going down this road. I mean, I think, you know, we understand that we want to give to our student athletes and some of them are, are very, you know, high valued and have great marketability. Um, so we don't necessarily have a problem with, with, with going down the road. We just want to make sure that we go down the road in the right way. And, you know, it doesn't get into where it's affecting recruiting. It doesn't get into where, you know, uh, the institution itself is having to manage or, or advise these young people on who they need to sign their sponsorship deal with. Um, you know, there needs to be a, a governing body that understands it wholly, that, that you know, is, is that the NCAA? Is it Congress? Is it a third party um, that, that, you know, hasn't been established yet, that that's all they do is, is work on this with student-athletes and the compliance departments of each institution? Um, but it's a big deal. Roger Wicker, obviously, is going to be a big part of this as he's on the Commer- Commerce Committee, and um, that's good for us in the state of Mississippi because we have a, a direct lifeline to him to talk to him about kind of our concerns and where we, where we think this should go. Um, so that's been really good. But, uh, again, I, I give credit to Greg and, and William King and everyone at the SEC office. They've done a really, really good job of, of making sure that we're all collaborating, we're communicating. Uh, we as a league are standing together kind of with what we where we think this should go. And um, it's going to be big. I mean, and if we're not careful, um, you know, it's one of those that could change college athletics. It's going to change college athletics. But if we're not careful, um, I just worry that, you know, our amateur model gets gets shifted and changed. And um, I don't think any of us really want that. There's an interesting article at The Athletic, I don't know if you saw it or not, that kind of outlined, based on a bunch of different projections, what the top ten earners would have been from last year, from 2019. And Zion Williamson was an anomaly. He was $3.5 million. That, that's a different deal altogether. But in the top ten nationally, there were two UCLA gymnasts on there because of what they've generated through their own Instagram uh, you know, feeds and the number of followers that they've got there and the value of, of an Instagram post isn't there something that's fascinating that to to say okay if you're able to generate that type of following maybe you're not going and you're signing a hundred thousand dollar endorsement deal with nike but because of your own popularity you can capitalize on that the way other students can that that feels like it's a step in the right direction doesn't it it does it does and and again as i started the last comment i mean we're not we're not trying to, to say it shouldn't happen. We're, you know, we understand, again, these, a lot of these young people have a marketability and, 
you know, it, you know their image is, is, is very valuable. And so we're not saying that they shouldn't get that. We just think there's there's got to be some guidelines. There's got to be some parameters around it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, I, I think it's great that, you know, uh, you know, UCLA gymnasts could have that type of value. I mean, that's really, really cool. And, and now with social media and just so many different outlets for these young people to get themselves out there and, and, and you know, personally brand themselves, um, they, they deserve some of this. I mean, there, there's no question about that. But again, I just think there's got to be a kind of a decisive and, and defined approach around it, uh, and, and just making sure because I, I could see it, Richard, where it goes down a road that we, we don't want this to become professional sports. Yeah. And I think I don't think anybody has that appetite. I, I don't think our student athletes, you know, in, in some ways understand what that would mean. You know, does that mean uh, that they have to form a union? Does that mean that they all of a sudden have to start paying for their own? Uniforms? Do they have to pay for their own training? Do they have to, you know, all those things? We don't want to go down that road. We yeah, because one of the arguments I've always made, and I don't know how you feel about this as a former student athlete, not even as an athletics director, is you've got to start with the fact that there is value in a college education. So, so it's scholarship and it's room and board and it's the training and the facilities and the food and all of that that goes into it. But then there, there's a level of marketability that you have like going out and trying to get a job if you were a college athlete that mm-hmm. other people don't have. Yeah, that's right. And and you know, we we've actually, you know, done some some research to show you know, exactly what a college athlete gets during their four years at Ole Miss or at Mississippi State or at Alabama. And it's significant when you talk about, you know, tuition and, and all the things that, that go along with their experience, like I mentioned, the training and uh, you know, nutrition and, and so many different things. But yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of always been the model. You know, when I when I finished in in the late '90s, you know, I had kind of a value in some ways because I was an Ole Miss athlete, and you were able to market that a little bit and, and go out and kind of use that with different connections and those type of things. And I don't think that will change. Um, but I, I do think that now adding this to to that, that they're going to be able to get something while they're in college. You know, again, I, I don't think that necessarily there's anything wrong with that. We just got to be careful with the way it's implemented. Last thing for you, when. What was your freshman year? 90, 95. 95. The overall athletics budget at Ole Miss in 1995, <laughs> probably $30 million. I think it's less. I think it would be less. Maybe less than that. Yeah. $115 million now. I think the last four years it's been over $100 million. How much of a hit does the overall budget take this year based on kind of what's happened in the last few months? Well, you know, there's there's been two kind of parallel discussions going on over the past two months. One is how do we how do we close this fiscal year, 2020? Um, and we feel good about that. I've kind of been public about that, that we're going to be able to, to move some things around and, and do some things. Um, and then we're, we're building our 2021 budget. And I think when that budget comes out, you'll see that it, it's going to be less than, than this budget. You know, I don't know exactly where we'll land yet, but um, I saw I saw one posted maybe a couple of days ago that they were about $10 million less than last year's budget. It was a Power 5 school. I can't remember who it was. Um, I don't know that ours will be $10 million less, but it'll be less. And so we're going to have to, to figure that out. And, again, you know, we hope this is, is one of those years that's just an anomaly and we'll be able to kind of kick back up to where we were in the past. Um, but yeah, it's going to be, it's going to take some tightening of the belt. And I will say this though, Richard, there was, there was some, um, some publicity last year when we did our budget that we tightened our belt. You know, we, we did some, some budget cuts. We worked with our coaches and different things. And I will say, I think that's positioned us a little better for this year's budget because we did some of that last year. And so, you know, we're not having to cut as many things. Um, you know, we're able to, to still hold on to, to some of those things that we had in, in last year's budget. So, uh, but it'll be interesting to see, you know, one of the things we haven't gotten state appropriations from 
from the state of Mississippi yet for the for the university. So there's just a lot of things. The budgets aren't going to be set here probably for a little while, but uh, it's interesting to see you know where we come from this year to next. Really appreciate your time. Absolutely enjoyed it, Richard. That's Keith Carter, athletics director at Ole Miss. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.